Emerson Hospital has teamed up with Turning Life On, a local grassroots movement to create a digital wellness program. Digital wellness is using technology with intention to achieve optimal physical, mental, and spiritual health, enhance relationships, safety and privacy, and increase our ability to learn and be productive. The goals of this partnership are to increase awareness of the many impacts that devices have on youth today and to provide research-backed tips that empower families to make healthy choices about digital media use. Through this podcast, our guests will discuss the six pillars of digital wellness and how we can support our youth in balancing their device use to optimize their overall health and development. This is the HealthWorks Here podcast from Emerson Hospital. I'm Scott Webb. This episode will feature Dr. Anthony Rayo, clinical psychologist and author of the book, The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create Life on Your Own Terms. And we'll also be joined by Adrian Principe of Turning Life On. Adrian, it's so great to have you back on. Which pillars are we talking about today? So today we're talking about spiritual well-being and learning and productivity. Let's start with spiritual health and well-being as it relates to digital wellness. If you've seen The Social Dilemma, you're probably aware of persuasive design. That's the way in which technology is designed to grab and hold our attention. In addition to persuasive design, youth also don't have fully developed frontal lobes, which is where impulse control lives. Media is designed to hold our attention. To make matters worse, youth have an underdeveloped ability to resist the temptation to use media. We're also really reliant on media to get things done throughout the day. We're missing out on the time we need to find purpose and peace to just be. With so much information coming at us, we lose control. Dr. Rayo, in your book, The Power of Agency, you address this very concept. You talk about how digital media use is filling our time and taking away from opportunities for downtime, moments of quiet and peace. This is a big concern, right? Absolutely. Adrian, I can't overemphasize how impactful living in a digital world is at this point. We are staring uh, at our screens at this point more than we're staring into the faces of the people we love. I wonder every day, what is this like in terms of all the opportunity costs? What are we missing out on? There's some estimates. 100,000 words are reaching our eyes and ears every day. By the time our heads hit the pillows at night, upwards of 5,000 or more advertisements sometimes try to get in, if you will, into our thinking. By all means, it is an era of, of digital overwhelm. It's hard to find the time to connect with people when we're constantly being overloaded with all of this information. Uh, and that connection with people is so important to not only our mental and our physical health, but also our spiritual health. So when I talk to parents, one of the things that I encourage them to do is to think about their family's digital media use through the lens of their family values. I think that's you know, one way to teach kids how to stop and think about how they're behaving online and what they're seeing. If they're seeing so much information, how do they then evaluate the information that they're seeing and share it appropriately? And to think about also the consequences of what they're sharing and how they're interacting with digital media. Yeah, I'm so glad you tie it into all that. We realized along the way that, in fact, in general, we're not really great thinkers. We, we tend to be, in fact, sloppy thinkers because our, an overstimulated mind really can't think for itself. Now, when that happens, we end up then reverting mostly to biases, prejudices, assumptions. And in fact, unless you're more conscious and aware and thoughtful and present, and that means low digital stimulation coming in, 
you're going to be really having super fast thinking, which is automatic, highly emotional, shortcut thinking. There is a direct relationship between how much stimulation we're getting, the conspiracy theories, the memes, that kind of thing, not just the content, but our inability to be able to think more logically, slowly, and unbiasedly just simply because we're overstimulated. I've heard that when we're using digital media, it's designed to keep us in the emotional part of our brains versus the higher order thinking parts of our brains, which is in line um, with what you're talking about in terms of sloppy thinking, harder to be present, and then that inability to really evaluate what we're seeing in terms of memes and racist comments and stopping ourselves from then forwarding those on. And that's for adults. If you think about kids whose frontal lobes, who that higher order thinking part of their brain isn't fully developed, it must be even more difficult for them to stop themselves. When we talk about digital wellness as it relates to spiritual health, we're talking about cultivating purpose, and maybe that's through social activism or support. It's also finding peace through balance and disconnection and committing to being good digital citizenships. So what suggestions do you have for parents and kids as it relates to this pillar? How do we get ourselves to slow down and think about what we're seeing? But then also, how do we get ourselves to disconnect so that we're able to find that balance and that peace and purpose that we need to be effective social activists and be able to provide the support for others? You know, I firmly believe that we're not going to be able to experience a spiritual moment until we are, are, are fully disconnected from digital devices for periods of time. With this other information coming in that's stimulating those emotional centers of our mind or connecting us to others that then we follow their lead and think more the way they think than for ourselves, we won't have that needed time of quiet and reflection that is essential to having those moments that you get more in touch with your intuition and who you are, and you just are living more in the moment, more peacefully, less judgmentally. And it's under those types of mental states that people report feeling more of a spiritual touch with those parts of themselves. We've got to set up times during the classroom, during learning, during our home, during our office, where we say, look, everything's down. I want everyone to power down for a little bit. I want us all to just have a few moments of either silence or peace or be able to go off yourself. Without those spaces, the encroachment of all the digital information just assaulting us, uh, we're, we're going to lose access to those moments that, that potentially can become more spiritual. I, I do a lot of work with camp organizations. Anecdotally, I can't tell you how much I'm hearing, particularly from teenagers and the counselors, that when they've had spiritual moments in their lives, ones that, that really meant something, they tended to be in movement and outdoors, more by themselves, in a very peaceful state, maybe looking at a landscape or a lake, or there was something about being out in nature. And when you think about it, when we're outside, we tend not to be on our screens. We tend to be less digital. We're more analog and multisensory. I think part of that, too, is or when we're outside, we recognize that the world is more than just who we are and who's on our tiny 2D screen. I think when we are outdoors and we're seeing a larger landscape or we feel the wind on our skin, we are remembering that we evolved in nature and the human brain then begins to relax and it knows its place in the world in a good way. 
And seeing all that, there's a sense of there's a larger scale thing happening here. I'm okay. I don't have to control everything. Now, when you release and you just give in to those really positive sorts of sensations and low stimulation, people then have more room for things like spirituality. We don't think about the role of a natural setting as maybe the curative agent. Time out in natural settings turns out to decrease adrenaline and cortisol, and there may be some other factors that boost the immune system. It's a very curative, whole-person way to be able to deal with all the stresses that we're feeling right now. When we talk about the six pillars of digital wellness, they are all interrelated, and here's a perfect example of how taking time to develop your spiritual health by being in nature is also positively impacting your mental health and your physical health, which are two of our other pillars. It's interesting what you said about control and releasing when we're in nature, which is the complete opposite of what's happening when we're on our devices. It's a really easy solution because most of us are in a place where we can just step outside or we can open the window and take in some fresh air, look at some trees. So let's switch gears here. The other digital wellness pillar we want to discuss is learning and productivity. Technology in the classroom is a great way to enrich the learning experience and to also expand knowledge. For example, during COVID, my family used technology to listen to books by astronauts in space. We drew with Mo Williams. We found new recipes. In addition to the physical impacts of too much screen time during the school day, which we hear quite often from parents, there's also concern with over-reliance on technology and how it can negatively impact knowledge acquisition, comprehension, and critical thinking skills. There are benefits and there are risks. What can you offer us in terms of some information about learning and productivity and information overload and balancing technology? Great question. Packed with a lot in there. We've moved, because of COVID, to more of digitally assisted learning, virtual learning. Uh, classrooms before that have been really enticed into and with some value at, at times, using more digital teaching and devices and, and ways to, to help people with adaptive learning and a lot of exciting things on the horizon here, things that we would not have had available to us. But this is uh, problematic if you think about it because our brain was designed to learn in a multi-sensory way. That would mean that we listen we touch, we smell, we taste, we move about in three-dimensional spaces, and we were meant to learn in socially dynamic ways. When we are around others that are excited about learning, are sharing ideas, are not self-conscious, the learning of everyone improves. And I'm not just talking about retaining information. We've got more information than we can use. I'm talking about true developmental learning of kids. And the more that we see classrooms or homes become more screen-based and digital, it's crowding out the way in which the human brain truly likes to learn. And people are realizing now since the pandemic that there's a lot of exhaustion and fatigue trying to stay in front of a screen for long periods of time. It's this idea that you're trying to learn something through a flat space. You're looking at glass or you're looking at a small dot, but you can't see the real human face that you're supposed to be responding to. It's fatiguing the brain. This gets into the second issue you raise, which is productivity. 
And we like productivity for a host of reasons, but we also like measurement and we like knowing that we're where we're supposed to be right now and where will we be if we do X, Y, and Z. Oh my goodness, we're falling behind and we can measure that. So so we have this way of of thinking doing more is better or reaching some higher ability to memorize certain things is better. This productivity was really at a crazy rate in the United States within the last maybe 10 to 15 years, the sort of pushing and pushing to do more and more with children in particular at earlier ages of the development, stressing them out. And for what at the end of the day? At the end of the day, they might be able to look productive or perform in certain situations, but were they really learning all around? So there's a really interesting and and deeper relationship between how we learn and what we define as productivity. But we've been focused so much on productivity, I think, that because of what's happening with COVID, we we may want to step back and and take a look at that uh, when the world, when things return back to to at least some some sense of normal. And I do think some of the digital screens and virtual learning will continue, but I think it's an opportunity for us to stop and really think through, like, how are we teaching and how do we learn? It's so interesting that you brought up this idea of the brain is designed to learn in multi-sensory ways. And I have a friend that works down at Yale School of Medicine, and we often talk about this. Our brains have not evolved to learn in a 2D world, to learn on computers, that our brains are still very much the way that they were in the past when we would take a stick and draw on the sand. And that's learning in these multisensory ways are really still the best way for kids to learn. Absolutely. And the younger a child is more of that. And as they get a little bit older, they can certainly tolerate more digital use of devices to facilitate their learning. And you know that there are schools that say, no, not until middle school. We don't want a screen in the classroom at all. Others are, hey, let's bring the learning into the outdoor world. We're in fact the science, the chemistry, the biology, the physics, even when you think about so much literature is written about natural things. We can do this outside where the real knowledge may be where the le- real learning might be able to take place or, or do more of it. So so people are breaking apart some of the models and assumptions that, that we do, particularly in this country, that's more measurement-based, test-focused, productivity-based, thinking a little bit more about what's the process, not just the product here. Definitely, and being outside goes in hand with what we talked about earlier in terms of your spiritual health, too. So if you're learning outside and presumably your brain is open or your brain is more relaxed, then you're probably in a better position to learn anyway versus being inside, sitting in front of a screen, overstimulated with information. So it's great advice to think about layering, as you said, thinking about layering the technology at the appropriate age and then also finding where is it the most effective. There are some studies out there that look at handwriting notes versus typing notes and reading digitally versus reading a book. And back to what you said about multi-sensory ways, can you speak to that a little bit about the difference in terms of comprehension and memory formation, knowledge acquisition between digital reading or note-taking online and print reading and taking notes by hand? By all means, there's room for everyone customizing the way they learn. And we all learn in different ways. And knowing how you learn is really important. Overall, 
if you were to write something down using a writing implement versus a keyboard, you will do it more slowly. It can aggravate people whose fine motor skills have not had that level of practice for all those years. For kids with fine motor issues, certainly we want them then to keyboard and just let them move forward faster. Don't want to frustrate people. But by slowing your thinking down, people are reflecting on what they're doing. They're also focusing more on not multitasking. In order to be able to pull that off, people tend to shut everything else down and have their eyes just on paper. And they begin to have a visual motor, we call it in psychology, this idea that as my fingers move around, there's this sort of, in the way that my lips form in different shapes to produce words, there's there's sort of some memory happening also in my fingertips that's associated with the movements of the thoughts I'm having. So now more of the body is engaged. And we think and feel with our entire bodies, not just our brain. It's all interconnected. Our state of health relates to our ability to feel certain feelings, how intense they are, and our quality of thinking and decision-making. It's another thing that we learned while writing this book. I do want people to really be thinking about, can I move this at times to more of an analog process? There's that sort of ephemeral problem with how fast we're working. And I think we're doing a lot of skimming on surface and, and we're connecting things quickly, but that we're not really pausing and going more into depth. And things like reading on paper and writing from time to time, extremely important to slow this process down, slow the thinking down. I think what you said about self-reflection is really important, and that's a key point that we're giving students a lot of different opportunities to learn in many different ways, So that, and then asking them to self-reflect on it so that they can figure out what type of learner are, are they and what works best. Are there any other suggestions that you have in terms of helping educators and youth and parents achieve digital wellness and learning and productivity? I think that people will decrease the amount that they emphasize in terms of digital learning and in terms of how much they want their kids on screens for school reasons if they step back and just ask the simple question, which is, what is the goal here? If the goal is to learn a lot of information, possibly some knowledge, but a lot of information, then by all means, there's the quickest way will be using digital devices. But if we're looking for helping kids think more deeply, moving from information into what is knowledge, which is I actually have a deeper understanding of it. I've looked at different sources or checked in with different people about it, and maybe that brings me into a new level of working knowledge, which is now it's in my mind, in my memory banks. I actually own it. It's now mine. That eventually leads to expertise and down the road wisdom. But if just information, like you just need to have this information available to you, then having it facilitated and speeding it up, having greater efficiency by digital devices does make sense. But I think if we stopped and asked that question, I would think most people would say, oh, actually, I thought the goal was to move from just information. I don't need to know information. I I can have basic parts of it. I can go to any digital device. We have too much of it. But how much knowledge do I have? How much working knowledge do I have? How much expertise do I have? That's different. And that is where I think we move away from digital learning and more toward a true sort of apprenticeship, hands-on, interactive, social. To me, that's the best model, which is really get analog 
do it with other people, make it multisensory, take time, get depth, and then go to devices in order to do the research part or to facilitate something or to create something, some cog and some machine you may need. What you said is perfectly in line with what we talk about in terms of achieving digital wellness as it relates to learning and productivity. So we talked about enriching the learning experience by using these digital devices for kids that really need them and for also getting the information that's out there because we are living in that information age. And then in terms of expanding knowledge, I think it also impacts creativity and then being able to focus on our work and cut out the noise, which often happens on digital devices. That's another way that we can support knowledge acquisition. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? There is one um, other thing, which is be really cautious. We all have now a digital device buddy, (laughs) a friend, a best friend that we take everywhere with us, that we live with, we touch, we hold, we carry. If it falls, we panic. If we can't find it, we go into separation anxiety. It is a remarkable remarkable thing. Our our phones, <laughs> we still call them phones. They're, they're anything but. <laughs> they just do so much. They're absolutely amazing machines. Their proximity to you, even when they are shut off, some of the research is showing, is causing a decline in our cognitive functioning, our, our basic skills to memorize, process, our efficiency in recall and using analysis skills. We wouldn't think that it would matter if this small little flat object just happens to be maybe shut off and upside down, but it's just on our desk near us, would be tapping our mental energy while we're trying to do something else. Turns out it does. And so there's interesting studies that show if you just have it shut off and you actually have it too close to you, your ability to carry out pretty basic cognitive tasks is lower than if you had put it in a drawer on the other side of the room, or better yet, shut it off and put it in another room. So so just beware, folks, that just having it around you, and your kids in particular, it ends up lowering their ability to think for themselves, their ability to socialize, their ability to move, and it looks like now their ability to think. That's really good advice. And wouldn't it be great if we could just treat each other that way, the way that the way that we treat our phones with, <laughs> with that much care. Well and said. Love. I really like the way you just put that. I really yeah. like how you just said that. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> we treated each other as well but as we treat our phones. And yeah. And, all right. We'll leave it at that. Treat each other the way you treat your phones. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. This was really great. I appreciate all your support, Dr. Rayo. Oh, thank you. It's been real terrific to talk with you today. Turning Life On and Emerson Hospital are working together to convene teams of parents, teens, clinicians, and mental health professionals to discuss digital media use, challenges, and best practices specific to our digital wellness pillars. This work will offer anecdotal evidence to further support our research-based suggestions. And if you're interested in getting involved with this project or learning more, please visit emersonhospital.org slash digitalwellness. And thanks for listening to Emerson's HealthWorks Here podcast. I'm Scott Webb, and make sure to catch the next episode by subscribing to the HealthWorks Here podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts can be heard.